Good morning, village. John 12, 23, 26. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Thanks, Jay. Um, how many of you women went to the retreat this weekend? You have a good time? I saw the picture that looked like you had a good time. Praise God for that. Let me pray and uh, thank God for that as well as going to the message. Lord, we do thank you for a good weekend that our women had to get, get away together and to be able to hear your word and to be with you and with others in church. And we pray for the relationships that were maybe started or strengthened during this few short times, Lord, and that you would use that to continue to build a community that seeks you together. So we thank you, Lord, for the ways you're moving. We pray right now as you lead us through this word. It's a challenging word. Uh, Holy Spirit, take words that could just be a lot of noise and let it make sense to our souls through your Holy Spirit, God. Speak, pierce, encourage, whatever you need to do, Lord. We ask for your help this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, as our brother read for us, this starts out with Jesus answering these people who are coming to want to connect with him and saying, the hour has come. So the reason why Jesus came into this world on his mission, it's starting to come into focus. And he did some tremendous things up to this point, a lot of teaching, healing, uh, ministry, relational connections. But we have to recognize his ultimate purpose was coming. His ultimate purpose, why he came to this earth on this mission, fully God yet fully man, was that he would be glorified. He would be glorified. And, and if we would look at Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there, but a famous passage in Philippians 2 I love, it says that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus was coming to receive much glory. So verse 24 then here, it's shocking because Jesus describes the means by which he will receive glory, which he's due. And says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the glory of Christ the glory of Christ will ultimately known, be known through the salvation of all humankind. That This tremendous picture, because it's not coincidental, if you, if you read before this, the verses that come before where you have these Gentiles, these Greeks, who are approaching, saying, hey, we'd love to talk to Jesus. We've heard about him, and, and though his ministry has primarily been to the Jews, we want to know him too, because he's doing some amazing things. Help us out. We'd like to hear from him. And this is how Jesus answers. And he's saying the fulfillment of why I came is going to happen, because his glory is ultimately going to be coming known when salvation will be known, not just for the Jews, but for everyone. Not just those who are born ethnically into this tribe, but for every person, regardless of the color of their skin, where they're from, what corner of the earth they were born in, what a religion maybe they were born into, whatever they look like, how much money they, every person is going to be privy to this gospel and the glory of God. It's going to be on full display as every nation, every tribe is going to be represented with people falling on their face worshiping God, worshiping God. If you need a picture of that, go to like Revelation 7, 9, Revelation 5, and just be in awe that everyone is going to be worshiping the name of this Jesus. 
powerful stuff, but if that's all to happen, the king must first die. That, that's what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, I'm going to get full glory, but for that to happen, the king must first die. And one thing, if you would look at the book of John and you study, there's this common kind of motif, uh, just uh, idea that a lot of stuff Jesus talks about, I can imagine if you're watching like a video of it, back if they had Snapchat or whatnot, people would be like listening to him and he would tell a story or say something and they'd be like, what, what, what's he mean by that? Like it made no sense. And then only afterwards, after he died, rose again and went, ascended back into heaven, people were like, oh, that makes sense now. Oh, he meant, oh, when he said, gave that story, oh, that's what he meant. And this is probably one of those things. Like, they had no clue. Like, kernel of wheat? Is he talking about planting season? And so he gives a little story here to help them understand, to grasp what's going on, because probably they would understand farming more than some other illustrations. So in Jesus, and I, and I, I probably fooled you, but I've never farmed in my life. That's just not my background. Um, I kill stuff in our backyard. But I've done some research, and Jesus' time as well as today, um, farmers... They would drop one grain of wheat into the ground at a time. I mean, it's just the same concept back in the day, but even now. And the technology of how that's done has obviously been improved and much more rapid, but the same general principle applies. You drop one kernel of wheat into the ground at a time. So you break up the soil, you dig up these trenches, drop that wheat in the ground, cover it back up with some soil, pray for rain, and wait on that harvest to happen, wait for some wheat to come up. And, and here's the thing that, that a common person, you and I, as we would see that happen, we wouldn't see what's going on. Because to our eyes, just sitting there, but inside, this wheat, this kernel, it's died. But that unseen single grain, it just lies there in the dirt, and it, it soaks in moisture, and it starts to take in nutrients, ultimately to the point where it starts sending out little, little rootlets. I don't know if that's a word, like little root, rootlets, root, whatever. And then, and then it shoots up. Into, into the soil, breaking through the ground, this stem that's full of life, and from there comes this giant fruit yield of wheat. And the thing is, it's remarkable that only does, not, not only that a dead seed is producing life, but it's truly remarkable in how much life is produced. Like how much comes from this dead seed. Um, a typical wheat farmer, they're going to put about two bushel of seed into one acre of ground. And for those of you who are not like grand, ground acclimated, that's about a football field. Much more, some of us know that much more. About a football field size, put about two bushel of seed, and out of that, what it will yield is 40 to 50 bushels of wheat. From two bushels of seed, you'll get like 40 to 50 bushels of wheat. It's enough to produce wheat for about 2,500 loaves of bread from two small bushels of seed. I mean, it is truly glorious. It's amazing how much impact one little seed can make. Like, can you imagine how many people on this earth who would have gone hungry otherwise because of that one single grain of wheat that fell in and burst this yield? How many people who would have gone hungry are now able to eat? It's truly awesome. I mean, it's marvelous the way God provides for his creation. But that seed first needs to die. That seed's got to die for that to happen. And Jesus' principle here, which is simple gospel principle, is that the glory of life will come from the tragedy of death. The glory of life, all that we celebrate, comes from the tragedy of death. And verses 25 and 26, Jesus shows here that this truth is not just meant for himself. Verse 25 again, it says, whoever loves his life loses it, 
And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus, when he was living on this earth and doing all his thing, he never lived a life just for the people to watch him and say, Oh, Jesus, you go. Look, at keep, keep doing your Jesus thing. And kind of applaud from the side. I mean, he did it. But he also was living a life so that he would be imitated by his followers. So if you would follow this Jesus, he's saying, yeah, here's how I live life. You go do the same. And, and Jesus here then, he's teaching, if you all really want to seek life, you need to die. If you are pursuing life, it's going to require death. It's going to require sacrifice. And if you're in this room today and, and maybe you haven't been in church before, or this is kind of new to you, I mean, you probably stop for a second and... and this sounds like crazy talk, right? I mean, this sounds like extremist talk. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you're like, no, nah, that's not in the Bible. That's like crazy other religions that tell their followers to go die and blow stuff up and like martyrdom kind of stuff. That's, that's not Jesus. I mean, this is really hard stuff. It's in the Bible. This is what Jesus tells his followers is required to follow him. And sacrifice is hard. But guys, here's where the, the message of Jesus and here's where the the message of this sacrifice, it's more than sacrifice being a noble goal in itself. I mean, what Jesus describes is hard, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that it's, as much as it's hard, it's also glorious. When he's talking about death, it's hard, but it's also glorious. Because we have to be mindful of this. If you and I, if we only see the hard, if we only focus on how difficult it is, if we only focus on the sacrifice, you got, you're going to miss the glorious um, promise, the, the powerful freedom that Jesus talks here about when he's talking about death. Or if you only see the glory, if you only see all the benefits, you're going to miss that it involves sacrifice. It involves hard, uh, hard life. And that's really an apt description of what it means to follow Jesus for us here. That is both hard, but it's also glorious. And we see here in, in his words how it's hard. Verse 24, it's hard because this grain of wheat has to die. I mean, there's death involved here. It's hard in verse 25 because Jesus calls us to hate our lives in this world. And, and again, some of you might look at that, and if you're not familiar, say, Jesus didn't say that. Why would he, that sound so mean? I mean, he's not saying go around like depressed and, oh, I hate life and life. He's not saying that, but he's saying in comparison to the glories of who God is in his kingdom, this world pales in comparison. Don't be so attached to what this world is. But a note on that. Um, for a lot of us, when, we, when we're told to hate this world, it sounds ridiculous, right? You're like, why would I do that? Life is great. For people who are going through stuff, they hear hate the world, they're like, yeah, because <laughs> this world stinks. This world is hard. This world is full of death. I've experienced destruction. I've experienced cancers. I, I've, I've experienced foreclosures. I've, ex I've experienced this world's got sucky people, and they've made my life hell. Yeah, you know what? I hate this world. I can't wait to get to heaven. And that's how you can know you're preaching to a group that's gone through stuff, that when you start talking about the glories of heaven and what's to come, they're like, praise God. I want to get there because this life is hard. But it, it, yeah, he calls us to hate our lives in this world. Verse 26, he, he, it's hard because he calls those who follow him on this path to death. And, and this death, it involves being a servant. He's saying, yo, you do what, whatever I tell you to do, no matter how lowly of a status it gives you, you're going to be a servant. 
So following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus on this path is difficult. But it's also glorious. And we can't lose sight of this. It's hard, but it's also glorious. So in verse 24, yeah, it's hard because the seed dies. But we need to see the glory that this death of the seed, it produces much life. That the sacrifice, sacrifice in, in God's economy, it's never in vain. God is always using the things that seem to die for his larger purpose of bringing the glory of life. The fruit is significant. Verse 25, yeah, we're called to hate our lives in this world, but why? So that we might have a life that's eternal. Like, we're not called to hate this world because this world is bad, but wow, you get to be with God? You get to be with Christ and dwell with him? Of course that's better. Of course I would hate anything else if I get to be with God in, in eternal life. Well, verse 26, yeah, and life is hard because we're called to follow him on this path to death. Why? You see there why. Where I am, there will my servant be also. He's saying, yeah, you know what? Following me to this thing called a cross, it's brutal. It's hard. It's difficult. Life is going to be difficult. But you know what? If you follow me there, that's where you're going to find me. So if your ultimate goal is you want to be with me, follow where I'm going because I'm going to that thing called a cross. He's saying, there I will be also. So yeah, it seems like a hard road, but the hard road leads to our ultimate goal that we want to be with our master. In verse 26, yeah, it's it's hard because he calls us to serve. But you see here again, why? If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. And in a world that teaches you that you will receive honor by the more you accumulate or the higher in status you get, the better job you get, the better looking you are. And that's not a problem for anyone else here. But I mean... As a world that teaches those things, it's say, who does God honor? The one who serves. The one who's lowly. The one who's giving up themselves. That's the one who God honors. So yeah, guys, death is hard. Sacrificial living is hard. But the heart does not exist for itself. But it's the path to glory. Amen? The pa- it's hard, but it's the path to glory. And I need to be really clear here. I, I want to be clear here. If you are in this room, if you're a Christian, and by that I mean not, not that you just grew up in a church home, but if you are a Christian, you confessed, you know, I follow Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I was jacked up, but Jesus took me and he saved me. If that's you, you've already died. You might not know it, but you've already died. That, I mean, that's how you became a Christian. You become a Christian by dying to yourself so that you might be raised in Christ. Romans 6, 4, you don't have to turn there. But we use this a lot when we talk about baptism. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And it's saying baptism, when we do baptism in, in the back there in the pool, just even the symbol of it, going down into the water, it's supposed to be signifying death, and that you're dying to yourself, you're dying to your sin, you're dying to yourself, but that's so Christ can raise you up just as he was raised from the grave, and you experience new life. And he's saying there was death involved for the sake of life. But you, you, you become a Christian by dying to yourself. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Same principle. It's saying if you follow Jesus, you die to yourself so that you can experience life. So here's why I'm saying that. If you are a Christian, if you're in this room, if you're a Christian, when Jesus is calling you, like passage we're hearing, to die, to die to yourself, 
he's inviting you to something that's already taken place in your life. I mean, he's not like making something up different, like saying, okay, all of you, I know you've never heard this before, but now y'all going to have to die. And you're like, what? Death? Where's that coming from? A part of our journey is that you've already died in him, so he's just calling you to live out what you've already done. Here's why this is important for us here, and we need to get this clear. You do not need to die over and over again spiritually. Like, I know some of you, probably you're so spiritual on weekends, all you do is, like, go to tent meetings and revival meetings and stuff, right? I know some of you are really holy moly types in here. But if you go to some of these, they'll, like, give an invitation and say, those of you who want to receive Jesus, come on down. And, and you come, and maybe you go to these meetings, and you're like, man, I've had a really rough week, and I know I follow Jesus, but, oh, man, this week it was really bad. So you go down there again, and you pray to receive Jesus again, saying, Jesus, man, maybe it'll stick this time. Come on, I really want to follow you. And you've done that, like, 30, 40 different times because you want to make sure you get it right the the promises of of the good news of jesus is you don't have to keep doing that over and over again because it was never about you doing something over and over again in the first place The, the christian is a christian because god has done a work in his or her life and and transformed their heart and now when we trust in jesus when we have faith we're saying jesus i believe that what you did on this thing called a cross is sufficient for my salvation like, when you look at a cross, there's only room for one up there, and that was Jesus, right? He, it wasn't like, okay, move over so I can get my work in. I mean, he did it all. He was on the cross. He died fully accomplished. That's why Jesus is able to say with confidence on the cross, it is finished. He's saying, y'all, I took care of this all. Now trust me that my sacrifice was sufficient for you. Amen? We need to get that down because when we're talking about dying to yourself, this is not you trying to, like, work out your salvation by dying to things in your life that you see are things you need to die to. Our glory, our joy is to worship God for what Jesus alone could do. And for some of us in here, maybe um, that's the first step you need to take in faith. And I'm not saying don't go take steps to like improve or to grow, but what I would suggest to encourage you is um, the first thing you need to do is understand that Jesus sacrificed for you. He redeems you. Trust that first before anything else. And trust that he did alone what you could not do. So if we understand then that as Christians, we're already dead, that we've already died, then we also understand that God calls you to die daily. If you understand that in Christ, you've died to yourself, you've been given you life, then what he says is daily, now you are to die to yourself. Or maybe to put it out another way, God calls you, to live out practically in everyday life what is already true about you positionally in Christ. God calls you to live out every day in a way that's reflective of who you already are in Christ. It's what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, when he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Each day, I need to experience and practice what is already declared true of me in Christ. So if I know that I've died to myself and Jesus is my full satisfaction and I don't have to earn anything, then every day now, now I will live that out by dying to myself, dying to the things that I used to look to for my sufficiency, for my satisfaction, for the things that are holding me back. So I'm just going to, let's bring it home very practically. I, I want maybe to ask yourself these kind of questions Ask yourself this, what must I do this day so that I can more fully experience the life I already have in Christ? 
what must I die to this day so that I can more fully experience the life I already have in Christ? And I think that the way we answer that question might be very different. I mean, we're a very diverse group in here, um, experiences and backgrounds. It's probably going to look different, but maybe for some of us, dying to yourself is asking, are there some habits in my life that are detrimental to me fully living out who I am in Christ? So, I mean, if we understand good theology, you cannot do a single thing to affect God's love for you. Amen? You could not earn it. And no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you were, that, that was not contingent. Jesus didn't hang across it. Okay, let me check him off. Oh, man, he had a really bad week. Yeah, it, it's not based on what we could do. It's based on what God could do. So it's, it's free for us, even though it costs Jesus a lot. But here's the thing. You can affect your expression of God's perfect love for you. You can, you can uh, impact how you experience that, how, how it affects you. And there are certain habits, maybe for some of us, that are preventing you from fully experiencing the joy of Christ. And we don't have to do a laundry list of those things. But maybe there's some addictions for some of us. There are some unhealthy behaviors. There are some aspects of the way we view our speech. Maybe for some of us, it's our social media habits. Computer, work, character, whatever it might be, there are some things in some of our lives that are habits that we need to die to. And it doesn't mean God loves you any more, any less, but for our being able to experience him, we want to die to these things. And I'm going to say it's not just even for your own growth, and we're just going to make, keep it really real, like we never keep it real in our church anyway. But uh, for some of us, honestly, certain things in our life, certain habits are affecting our witness. And what I mean by that is uh, you've got some maybe friends who are not Christians, and they, they hear you talking to them about following Jesus, and yeah, you got to go to church with me. And, and then secretly, they're looking at your life, and they're like, hmm, uh, you know, my life actually looks like it's a little bit more in order than yours does. Why the heck would I want to follow what you do? And, and maybe that's not you, but for some of us, I think it might be that there are certain aspects of our habits that we need to die to for the sake of our relationship with God, as well as our witness. Maybe for some of us, and this might step on some toes here, Maybe what we need to die to for some of us is this like God of ambition. And, and I fully affirm ambition is a good thing, I think, when it's redeemed. I think there's a godly ambition where we seek to improve ourselves as much as we can. As much as we, can. we work hard. We, you know, we excel in the field as God has given to us. I think that's good. I think that's noble. We should be good stewards. But it's a very tenuous line where that can become, we start to worship where we're heading. And what drives us in our life? Are those letters behind our name, perhaps? Or the status we get in our employment, our chosen field? Or, or maybe how much we make? Like some of these ideas of ambition, again, it's really great. That's why it's hard to look at someone and say, your ambition is sinful, mine's God. You don't know, right? Every person's different. But there is a certain kind of ambition that maybe we need to die to, where in my experience, I've seen families break up because of that kind of ambition. These people are so driven by getting somewhere that they're willing to sacrifice anything. And that's when you know it's an ungodly ambition, that that supersedes anything else in life. Where you got kids growing up who hate their parents because, yeah, they provided a great house for me, but I never saw them. It seemed like the most important thing was that they would make it somewhere. Or you got spouses, husbands or wives despising the other because the most important thing seems to be making it to a certain point. Or 
You've got people in your ministry. You've got people in your life, maybe in church, maybe in your neighborhood, that you just don't have the space to be able to love and reach out to because you're being driven by this ambition. And again, I want to be really clear. We're all busy. I'm not saying be a slacker. I'm not saying for the sake of the glory of God, I'm going to get D in my class so I can love the people around me. That's not what I'm saying. That's, that's a bad witness, right? Those are the worst witnesses. Like, yeah, I pray like every night, but man, I failed that class. That's not a good witness. But maybe it's this message to say, you know what? Maybe it's not the most important to be, thing to be number one in my class or to get into the most amazing program if I'm not loving the people that God has perhaps called me to love around me. If, if you're too busy to, like, get a call from someone in church, you need to evaluate your schedule. You need to evaluate your life rhythms. If you're way too, and again, a lot of us are, like, mega busy, and this is not a guilt thing, but it, it's, it's, it's a kingdom thing. And if that's you, pray that God reveal these things to me. Help me. Maybe I need to die to this. One more example. Maybe for some of us, we need to die to our reputation. We need to die to our reputation. And the reason that we don't ever, no one in our life knows that we follow Jesus is because we're just so consumed by not wanting to look like a freak. We don't want to look like one of those. We don't want to be one of those guys like, yeah, the Christians you read about on CNN, that's not me. I don't boycott Disney. Like, you, you don't want to be associated with a certain group. So because of that, you don't want to be looked at a certain way. No one in your life knows that you follow Jesus. Like, there's no clue. It, it, there's no reality of the Christian faith in your life because we're afraid of being looked at in a different way. And maybe for if that's you, I know that's me a lot of times, we need to pray, God, would you help me to die to this sense of having to look impressive or or that I've got it together, or whatever it might be. And I would say being a part of a, any church, but even a church like ours here at the village, this is a significant aspect and part, part of the reason why we talk about committing to a church, when we talk about partnership, that when you belong to a church, you're saying, my life is not just about me. Because it, let's be really honest, it, it almost feels much easier if church can just be a place I can drop in and out. I don't have to get to know anyone. Just come in. I'll listen to the sermon. I'll sing some songs if I feel like it that day. But I don't really have to do anything. I don't have to get committed. I don't have to know anyone. But that's not church. That's not church. Church is a place where you're saying, I- I'm actually going to give myself to these people. As much as I receive, I also give. My life is not just about myself. I don't orient everything around me, but maybe I start to see what's God doing in this place and how do I orient myself here as well? And particularly for a church like ours that's trying to grow in a diversity of cultures, um, can, can we be really honest? Um, being part of a diverse church, it looks kind of sexy from the outside. It's not that fun sometimes on the inside once you're there. Because you start saying, you know what? Um, yeah, I love, I love like being in a place that looks diverse. But man, they sure sing those songs funny. Or, ooh, man, they really pray in a way that's not very spiritual. Or, man, you know, that's not the way you do Bible study. I used to do Bible study great in this church. Or, man, they're so weird in small group. People talk about strange things. And, and, and the, the reality is if the more diverse your church becomes, the more you're going to have to die to certain things that have been preferences maybe in how you viewed God. And I'm not saying it should be like key doctrinal issues. Like if someone's like, so diverse that they're questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God, you know, leave. That's a cult. But in, in a church that believes the big things together, maybe one of the healthiest things you can do is to say, I'm going to be part of a community where honestly everything doesn't really go my way all the time. 
there are some things, honestly, if I would prefer, it, it wouldn't look like that. But I can see the bigger picture of what God is doing and that God will even use those things to hone us and to shape us and to invite us to die to ourselves. Part of being part of a diverse church is a continual process of dying to yourself, saying, and again, not that any of you have ever questioned a sermon, but man, that's not the way you preach. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way you sing. And to say, but can I see that God is doing something here and I, I believe in enough that I want to be part of this, but it's going to require me dying to certain things. And as we're saying, that kind of path isn't easy. It, it, it's not easy. And, and part of my reason for saying all this is I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that I, I think for a lot of us here, you're sincerely seeking to follow Jesus. I mean, you're trying to love people. You're trying to serve others. You're trying to live out your life in your workplace or in your school or in your neighborhood. You're trying to sacrifice. You're trying to be generous. You're trying to give. You're doing all these things. You're serving. And, and, and sometimes you just want to give up because it's so hard. Sometimes you're like, man, is it even producing anything? Is it even making a difference? My life stinks. Everything's hard. And if it's hard, you're not crazy. <laughs> if it's hard... If ministry, if serving, if loving is living for Christ, if sacrificing, if it feels really difficult at times, you're not insane. Well, you might be insane another way, but you're not insane for that. Because it's supposed to be hard. It's actually okay if it's hard, if it doesn't always feel good, because that's the way of this thing called the cross. Because as good and beautiful as that big piece of wood was, the path up that hill was not fun. It was not comfortable. And it's Jesus' own principle that life comes from death. And again, I want to encourage you here, especially if maybe serving God or following has been really difficult, that all of your deaths, as big as they might feel in your estimation or as small as they might feel, they're not in vain. In, in, in God's economy, every little thing that we feel is a loss, that we feel has been killed, is not wasted. God uses every little death, so be encouraged even in the real pain of loss that some of you are going through or have been through. God doesn't waste these things. So let me, let me bring it home here. Um, I, I think it would be a tremendously fun experiment to just go to like churches all over the country and put on those little heart rate monitors on people's wrists and just monitor like people's like energy excitement level. And, and I, I think, and again, I'm not a scientist, but I think, I think if you would see people doing like church stuff or being in worship or being in small group or doing like Christian things, man, I could imagine that pulse rate going like down really low because, you know, it brings that much energy and excitement and almost to are they still alive here because it's like that resting heart base really resting but then get get us in front of the tv for the football game or the concert or that tv show that just makes your blood boil and like you know it just like starts spiking and it, it just the reason why i'm saying this i think there are just so many bored people in church Again, not ours. You know, no one here is ever bored. But in some churches I've heard of in, in stories and tales, I think there's like so many people who are just bored out of their mind, who, who are like asking, man, this is just so all irrelevant. It's just lame. It doesn't mean anything, but I guess I should do it so my mama don't get mad. But it like really doesn't enliven the soul at all. And, and I think the reason for that is too many people in our culture have bought into this idea of a Christian life 
that doesn't really require that much of Christ. Like, like we bought into this Christian life that's about like living a decent, responsible, kind of moral, work hard life. And that, that's all good. That's really good. I affirm it. Thing is, you don't need Jesus to be like a decent, responsible, moral father. You don't. I mean, it helps, but you don't. You don't need to be Jesus to go work hard every day and be responsible and, you know, pay your bills. You don't need Jesus to, like, um, keep yourself clean in different activities and, you know, volunteer at the local center. And you don't need Jesus to honestly do some of those things. Because we all know people, and that's, that's where some of us really run into a, a rut. If you're trying to, like, share Christ with people around you, and you look at them, and you're like, in your, in your secret of your mind, you're like, man, they're actually better people than I am. What do I tell them they need Jesus for? Like, they're living decent lives. Because I think so often churches, we've bought into this idea that we, pro- we propose things that you really don't need Jesus to be able to do it well. You don't really need Jesus to live a decent, moral, responsible, functional life. But you're sure going to need him if you're going to try to live a life dying to yourself. Yeah, you don't need Jesus to be a good, responsible citizen. But if you're going to die to certain habits in your life, if, 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 if like you're here and you're like, you could die to that? That's just a part of who I am. I've been wrestling that for decades. That's not going to change. That's just a... Yeah, that's why you need Jesus. Yeah, I don't need Jesus to go to work. But you, what do you mean, forgive? Forgive? You mean that person that, like, abused me when I... Forgive? Are you kidding? I can't do that. That's, like, emotional stuff. You can't change that. Exactly. That's why you need Jesus. Be generous? Be ge- I mean, I'm going to give what I can, but, yeah, no, you're hitting, like... That's why you need Jesus. Like, we've got to talk about a Christian faith that sounds almost extremist, but it's not just to make you more sacrificial. It's actually God loving you. Because as he gives you these opportunities to die to yourself, he's not trying to steal your joy. He's trying to give you joy. He's trying to help you be released from the things you've been looking to to be your satisfaction. And, and here's the way we approach discipleship at our church. This, I mean, if you want to boil it down 30 seconds, here's my perspective on discipleship. How do we, that, how do we grow in Christ? Um, take this thing called a Bible, open it up, Start reading it. Like the whole thing, just start reading it. Actually try to do what it says to do literally. Like believe it's literal and real. And start trying to live out the way it says to do. And don't excuse to say, well, he didn't really mean that. Or that's just figured. Actually live out the ways Jesus calls you to live out. And fail. Because if you try to do it, you're going to fail. You're not going to be as loving, as sacrificial, as generous, as kind, as noble as what you see in the standard here. And what it's going to do is going to bring you flat on your face humbled before God, saying, God, I could be moral. I can't be this. And that's what brings you back to the foot of the Savior over and over and over again as you see things that you can't fix yourself that only God can do. And rinse and repeat. And you just keep doing that over. And that's, and I got, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of sitting in Bible study or Sunday school class for 40 years. That's great if you want to do that. But that doesn't really transform you. I've seen people who've been in Sunday school class for like 40 years. It, it doesn't do a single thing. But when you continually see why you still need Jesus, that is what transforms you. That's what brings you to the Savior. Because living a life of daily dying to yourself will require a life saturated with Jesus. If you're going to try to live a life where you're dying to yourself, it will give you no choice 
but to lift your hands and surrender say, okay, I give up. I need God. I, I need Jesus, higher power, whatever. I need him. I need him now. Let's fix our eyes on him together.